0: Hey folks, welcome to the first live podcast recording of the High Power Archery Podcast. So, a lot of you will see that I've sent out an email to those who are on my mailing list and I posted some notifications on Facebook. If people want to get involved in this, they can just give us a, a holler on email and we would send them all the information. The reason why we don't post that publicly is because we don't want anyone hacking our Zoom call. In today's day and age, we have a lot of that going on. And frankly, this is a fully live broadcast. All of my podcasts are recorded, if I have them with other guests, extremely live, which means I don't edit them afterwards because anything that's said goes on there because we're trying to be upfront and real about everything. But when you do a live broadcast like this, sometimes you will get those trollers out there who they jump on and they do whatever, and then who knows? Anyway, so I've got my first one, and I think you'll recognize him since he was on our last broadcast, but I'll let him in in one second. Uh, Here we go. And let's see how long it takes Richard to get on here. He should be on any moment. Anyway, while he does that, the whole thing about this is with Zoom you can allow people to join a call and you keep them in a, in a waiting room and then you let them in one at a time so you don't have like a whole crowd jumping in at the same time. And we've got Richard on now. How you doing?
1: I'm good, thanks Angel. How's life with you? Uh,
0: ah, everything is going good over here. Uh, you know, we we're trying something new. We're doing this live broadcast and all that. We want to see how that's going to work out. I had some responses from some some of the folks say, saying that they'd be able to come on. You were gracious enough to to come on and join us for our first one today. Um, and feel free to stay on as long as you like. I'll tell you that. Um, it is a different experience for sure. Um, normally we invite guests on, but our listeners really don't have the opportunity to get onto a live broadcast. The reason why I didn't do this on Facebook is doing it on Facebook is, well, fraught with all kinds of problems and dangers because you don't know who's going to get on there and start trashing you or doing something. Because in today's day and age, you have people that no matter how good you try to do will always be out there to try to screw somebody over. And all the other guys I know that do podcasts avoid it because of such a thing. Um, so, how's your day going so far?
1: Oh, not too bad at all. Being over to my daughter's, helping her with kitchen work surfaces this morning.
0: <laughs> all right. So now I've got another caller. I'm going to a- jump on here and get him in. Um, and he's from Canada, and he has emailed me in the past, and he has actually um, we corresponded a, a bunch. So. You'll be able to contribute to this one too as well. Uh, This is about, when he emailed me originally, it was about um, how to get his wife to draw a higher draw weight. And that whole podcast that I did last week was all about that, um, how to accomplish that sort of thing. So I figured sometimes the best way to do this send him the info, and he was gracious enough also to go ahead and jump on here. I'm going to admit Francis right now. Hold on a second. There we go. Now, with Zoom, it takes people a couple seconds to join in unless their client is trying to get in. And we have Francis on here right now. Uh, well, finally, good to speak to you instead of reading an email from you. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> How you doing? Oh, pretty good. Good, good. Um, so we got Richard out on here as well. Um if you haven't listened to his podcast, I, I suggest it's a good good listen. It's the Archery Geek Outdoors, and I'll always uh, post links and that sort of thing on here. Um, but uh, you know, your your communication with me started a while back when you were asking me about your wife and how to get her to draw a higher draw weight. And yeah, had, well, that was one of the things that
2: really stood out when. Uh, in the first episodes of the podcast, really when you were talking about the girls you train and how much weight they could draw, that uh, wasn't, that wasn't the experience we were having.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and you know, that's something that, uh, we see a lot, you know, where, where people just put, um, you know, Hey, that I can't do this. I, I can't do that. Like, well, you're, you're, you're limited only by what you, what you put against yourself. So if you're taught the proper technique, anybody can pretty much do anything that they want to do. Um, you know, it, it's just one of those things, and I think that the technique that we, we use, either purposely people have not been teaching it because either they don't know it or they, they want to keep people at a lower level for a longer amount of time, and I don't want to go into why that is. though you know I will. Um, but, you know, it's just one of those things. Now, Richard, when you saw the, the podcast, <laughs> you said a light bulb went off in your head, didn't it?
1: Oh. God, it was hilarious. I'm listening to it while I'm in the kitchen eating a banana. You're about this chair being attached to your shoulder. I'm stood there in the kitchen with a banana hanging out in my mouth like some dodgy twink film, drawing an imaginary bow in the middle of the kitchen. Just think, imagine that feel of having a winch on the back of my shoulder. The wife thought I'd lost the plot.
0: Well, you know, the whole thing is with this this particular subject. When people ask me about it, I'm like, all right, I'll try to break it down. And he, here's where where the problem is. This is probably something you've run into, Francis, as well. Um, that people who, when they first start taking archery lessons, okay, for one reason or another, they, they get into this thing where they're like, well, okay, um, the instructor will say, here, pull this bag and do this and do that. And at first there's – basically little or no instruction at all. What I mean by that is you get a lot of copycat stuff going on where that's how they're trying to teach it. They're trying to teach it as, here, see, see what I'm doing? Do the same thing. And if you go to a first introductory lesson, you'll see that sort of thing a lot. Well, the problem is that's fine when you're getting somebody started the very first time. But eventually you have to get into sharpening their techniques. Otherwise... It only takes a couple of repetitions of something to become a muscle memory, if especially if it's bad. So people continue to do that. Well, the way I teach it is I say, okay, fine, we're going to do this. This is how you draw the bow, and I let them see how it is. And then after that, like a 10, 15 minutes later, the one thing I start working on is straight line. You have to pull in a straight line. And a lot of them don't get what I'm saying. And if it's the first time they've ever picked up a bow, that's okay. Um, but the biggest way to explain it and the easiest way to explain this sort of thing is um, when I tell people, all right, if you know what a pulley system is or a block and tackle system is, and people who who hunt here in the United States, whatever, they're all very familiar. Especially, This is the easiest way to get the bow hunters to figure it out. They're all familiar with once you get a deer, you're going to hang them up and you're going to skin them or something like that. Then you use what they call a skinning gamble. And most of those have a block and tackle system that you connect to something up high so that you can pull the deer all the way up. Well, pulling say 150 pounds of deer up into the air is not an easy accomplishment unless you're pulling on that block and tackle system in a straight line. Pulling back a bow is no different than that. And that's where you run into the issues and the people don't get it at first, or some people just don't believe in doing that, and they try to focus on all their muscle doing all the work for them. It's basically a pulley system, and if you pull a pulley in the the straight path, it's allowed to work effectively. If you don't do it and you pull to the side, then all of a sudden the effectiveness of the pulley is about 80% less, and what feels like, you know, what should feel like 20 pounds when you pull it back will feel like 50. And that's the problem. So I don't know what kind of problems you've seen with your wife when she's doing it, but most people encounter the issue when they, when they first started draw it back, if their arms not in the proper position, if their, if their front front arm is not in proper alignment, so that shoots all the way back into the front shoulder socket, they have nothing static to pull against. So the one thing that I hear, and you mentioned this in the email you sent me, I hear a lot of people saying, well, we we were taught, you know, or she was taught to do the push-pull method, and, it's com- and this is completely contrary to that. Um, that's kind of wh- wh- where she learned how to do it, doing the push-pull method? Um, yeah,
2: we didn't actually, we're basically self-taught. Like, okay. country is not very popular, Okay. Um, even the the, cl- the club we shoot at, um, I mean, there's only really one compound instructor, and he's a level one, and uh, you know hasn't been able to to help much. Uh, so we're we're basically self taught off the internet, and as as you often mention, the the internet is a hazardous place to learn things. <laughs> You're not
0: kidding. Um, so
2: so we've been we've been trying different things. You know, I, I see people uh, doing like the, the the high elbow draw and. Try that, and then they're like a rotational drawing You know, we've been trying different things and trying to figure out what's going to work. But uh, I mean, it's tough when you're just watching videos and you're not actually sure of what what's actually going on.
0: Yeah, and that that's that's very very common for what I've seen um, all the time. And what what basically the whole thing boils down to this: YouTube is a great place because I'll tell you something, and Richard, you could probably attest to this as well. Um, when I was younger. Okay. And yeah, I'm as old as dirt, but when I was younger, there was no YouTube. There was no anything. So either you had someone to teach you or you learned on your own, or you learned out of a book or something like that. Now, YouTube is this big tool that we have out there and it's brought archery to tens of thousands of more people than it normally than we ever had the opportunity to do before. And that that's not saying that it's a bad thing. However, Unfortunately, with every good thing that you get, you get some bad. And there are people who either don't know how to do it in the first place and they all of a sudden find YouTube. Oh, let me post this on there. This is the way I do it. It works for me. And then people watch that and they pick up the wrong technique or something like that. Um, Nothing can replace real coaching. Uh, We've evolved into the Zoom coaching era, which I personally use a lot. Uh, It can help, especially if it's done the right way, but there are limitations to what you can do with it, and if you don't have the camera in the right position, it doesn't work. But uh, like you said, a lot of the stuff that you'll see people doing self-taught because they're finding it on YouTube or other places uh, like that, and I'll tell you, there's nothing wrong with that, but when you find yourself hitting a wall, it's usually because something in the technique is not correct, and that's not – and here's the the problem I have with – Oh, most coaches, Richard, you know what's coming. Um <laughs> these people, they 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 you come to them and then they say it's my way or the highway. This is how it's done and that's it. Okay, if you want to teach somebody proper technique, that's all good, but you got to be able to bend it to them and make it work for them. And a lot of guys don't do that. A lot of guys well, this is the USA archery system and this is the way you have to do it and if you don't do it this way, then you're screwed and you're not going to be learning from me because you will not progress. Yeah, okay, if I did that with any of my students, I don't think one of them would have ever stayed with me. Um, some people have a mindset, well, if they say I got to do it, I got to do it, I'm not the type of person. So getting back to your wife's issue, you guys are self-taught, not an issue at all with that. Um, you said you're going to send me a video. Send me a video is probably the best thing to do so I can see what she's doing. But it all comes down, in your particular case, to the stance you start out with, what you do the most important part of all this is the front shoulder if so there's been tens of thousands of things on YouTube about how you should hold the bow and all that, and the one thing that there's no way around it if i mean there are some people who are the exceptions who can shoot with a bent elbow in front, and then when i was when I was first starting to get certified to be a bow hunter instructor that you would hear guys say, well, you have to keep that front elbow bent a little bit so it can absorb the shock of the bow as it goes off. I'm like, you guys are rifle instructors teaching this to bow people Have you no know idea what you're talking about. Um, there are exceptions to the rule. People who have done this for a very long time, like Jesse Browater, who used to shoot with, I think he still does a little bit, but he shoots with a slightly bent elbow, but he's been able to manage that, and he's one of the best shooters in the world. Works for some, not for all. So the way I teach it is I try to make it so that it's easy as possible for the students. And the one common thing is if you show them how to keep that front arm straight, which is the bone-on-bone contact, one going straight into the other with the hand in the right position, which starts up with your hand almost like you're saying stop. Now, John Dudley is famous for for a video he has where he tells you how to hold the bow, and he goes, just hold your hand up like you're trying to tell somebody to stop. Stop. And then you put the bow in it, well, that process of holding your hand up like you're trying to say stop actually puts all your bone in alignment. The one thing that happens with ladies and a lot of girls is that they're double-jointed. And I don't know if this is the case with your wife, but it might be. And if she's double-jointed, then she might have a problem getting her elbow pointed to the to behind her, and it might be pointed down or something like that, and then that inhibits them from keeping the arm locked out. But it's pretty easy to see so it's not that hard. But then you just suck that thing right into your shoulder socket, and now you've got this rigid structure that's in the front, and all you're doing is pulling against it. So that's where most people find the problem. Now, Richard, do you when you listen to what I was saying, did you get what I was saying about keeping the straight arm and all that and locked in so you can have something rigid to pull against? Yeah, I think
1: there's one, one thing that really struck the number of coaches. You say, well, people teaching you know, can I can't say coaches, the number of people, particularly shop owners mm-hmm. that you see on YouTube when it's drive that pin into the target, push forward, push pull, drive that pin into the target, and straight away you're extending the humerus out of the socket, aren't you? Yep. So you haven't got that bone on bone contact.
0: hmm Exactly. And that becomes a problem, uh, for a lot of people, because remember, if the system is completely rigid all together, and you're pulling back and just using that front hand as a lever that you're pulling against, then it's going to stay together and it's going to give you a steady shot, but it's also going to allow you to pull that pulley because that's all really bow wheels and cams are is pulleys, pull that pulley in a straight line to get it back. It's when you don't have everything locked out in the front that all of a sudden now what was something rigid that you're pulling the pulley against, that starts moving. You may not be able to see it that much, but it starts moving And then all of a sudden, because it's moving, you've got less power to pull it back with. And when I hear somebody like Francis described who's hit a wall, who can't drive past that, no matter what they do, even if you increase the poundage on the bow and they're still not doing the right technique, what's going to wind up happening is they may jump a pound or two, but the doing it improperly with the alignment wrong and stuff like that, that's going to wind up causing an issue And the issue it's going to cause is you're putting more pressure on joints that are not in line and working harmoniously, and you're going to wind up getting pain out of that because they're being pulled in directions they're not meant to go. So like I always say, when you're shooting archery for the first time, you're using muscles that you probably never used before. So all of a sudden, if those muscles you've never used before are being pulled out of whack, like your shoulders going out of whack and stuff like that, it's going to wind up being a painful experience. What happens with the painful experience? They feel a little bit of pain. I don't want to do this anymore. Lower my draw weight down to something I can manage. And, Francis, what I want you to tell your wife is very, is very simple. This is not unusual. This happens to a lot of people. And the funniest part about this is, It's not really funny. It's sad. Is that when I get guys who come from these, who go to their bow shop, they they pick up the most expensive bow they got, shooting eighty pounds or something like that. They've never shot a bow before, but because they're six foot two and and built like you know like Armstrong, they can go ahead and buy this thing. The shop doesn't care most of the time, and a lot of times it's not the shop's fault because the shop's just doing what the customer wants. And this guy walks in and says, "I need a manly bow. I can't shoot fifty pounds or something like that." and they buy this thing, I see him at the range, and they can barely pull it back. Now, these are guys who can deadlift 300 pounds, 400 pounds, bench press 350, and they can't pull a 60-pound bow back. It's not because they don't have the strength. They don't have the technique. Same way, I there's a personal trainer I know, and he's like, dude, if you try to lift this, deadlift this like this, and you don't put your back in the right position, you're going to wind up hurting yourself, and you can't generate the most power possible. Well, it's the same way with archery. If you're not doing it the right way, you're gonna you're not going to generate the right amount of leverage, you're not going to generate the right force, and you're going to wind up hurting yourself. Now, when she tried to draw her bow back at a little higher pound, is, is it right away she feels it painful, or she just can't get it to go back? Uh, it's pretty much she can't get it to go back. So, uh, so it's, yeah, like, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's like hitting a, a wire. It's like the steel cable if she can't move, right? Yeah, exactly, and I mean it's it clearly uh,
2: we know it's we know it's a technique thing because yeah. we've tried uh, you know we've been we've been doing this for a few years and uh, every year because you has to get up to forty pounds for for hunting season yeah so every year we we start a couple of months out and do the you know add a couple add a pound or two every week and but uh, for some you know it. it 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 never seems to, to work well. Once she gets up to hunting weight, she can you know she can barely she can't really practice much anymore because she can only shoot a few arrows before she's too tired to even yeah. pull the bow back.
0: And has has she been out hunting with you yet or not?
2: Oh yeah, she's been hunting uh, for several years. Has she um has she, she, you know she hasn't had the, she hasn't had the the chance to have a, a shot on an animal yet. But that's one thing she's worried about is you know a cold cold morning is she even going to be able to. Uh, draw a uh, draw or bow
0: yeah and and you know i i use an example of some of the people that that uh, come to me as customers oh and i got rob jones who's just gotten in there in the waiting room hold on i'm gonna let him in just give me one moment here here we go
1: i guess so i just want hear about you guys talking about bow hunting because i over in the uk it's completely outlawed
0: oh yeah and there's rob jones how you doing he's he's uh getting connected at the moment anyway um yeah so 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 that so her trying to draw the bow back on an animal live could become a problem you know uh but like I said I know guys who out here they they spend all these tens of thousands of dollars going to hunt and most of the time they miss their opportunity on an animal why because they nearly fall out of the tree trying to draw their bow where they're overbowed for it or they're not using the right technique and then when I tell them I'm like listen did you uh did you try to to go ahead and, and pull it with the right technique? I mean, are you able to do it? They're like, Of course I am. And I look at these guys draw when they're standing on the ground. I'm like, yeah, if you were on a tightrope, you'd fall off. So that there's the problem. That's why when I sit them down, it kind of like schools them a little bit, like, sit down in the chair, lift your legs off the floor and uh try to draw your bow back. Cannot be done. Like then you need to start learning technique. And they're like, oh, I don't want to lower my draw weight. I'm like, you're gonna lower your draw weight. We're gonna get you up in there but it's going to take a little bit of time for you to, to get it to where it is. Otherwise, you can go ahead and continue to spend tens of thousands of dollars and never get a, cha- a chance to harvest that record book deer who's walking in front of you. Yeah, well, you see, <laughs> you see all kinds of the, Go ahead.
2: I was going to say, you, you see all kinds of videos of people on the internet who are, are drawing down to their chest, right, so that they can get the bull back and then swinging their arm up. You know, that's not... Yeah, definitely that's
1: like the classic low elbow, get back to full draw, then suddenly pop your elbow and shoot a big swing of the elbow when you're on an animal. Oh, That's yeah. just going to let the animal... The, somebody's there.
0: You, you'll see it with a lot of guys on the YouTube videos who are like giving... The, like, I'm shooting 100 yards and when you see them draw it back, they're drawing down towards their stomach and then they're lifting it up into their draw line to, to anchor. And Like, you're the primary reason why people have issues with this because they're trying to copy you. But uh, we'll pause for a 2nd Uh like to... Welcome, Rob Jones, to the call. He has been—he's uh, got his own podcast and great guy to deal with. Very informative uh, podcast that he runs, and uh, we didn't know if he was going to make it on here today because he had some other obligations and some some coaching stuff to do today. But we're glad to see him on. Thanks, guys. Appreciate
3: it. Thanks for the invite.
0: Yeah, of course. And if, uh, if you got any kinda of, any kind of questions, let us know. We were just going over like trying to help Francis get his wife to draw a little bit heavier weight and all the obstacles that people have and a lot of them is perceptions from what you see on TV or or on YouTube, that sort of thing. But um Francis, the way we're gonna handle your wife is gonna be you just need to take the videos of her from, from behind and from the side, both sides, and I'll be able to correct where she's standing, how she's drawing. And we'll and then we'll do a live session on Zoom and we'll get her all straightened out. I'm not worried about that. And start, you know, the one thing that I see hurts people is when they don't practice year round, then all of a sudden season starts in September or late August or whatever it is. And they're practicing like a week before. That never helps. But if you're doing this year round, um, you have all the opportunity in the world to progress at the pace that you need. So let's just say right now, she's only shooting 30 pounds. Um, if we do it the way I typically do it and we increase her by two pounds after we see that she's able to pull in the straight line, then you'll see that she can progress leaps and bounds in just a week or two. Sometimes three weeks, I've gotten people a 15, 20 pounds difference, but uh, it all has to do with the technique on that. But it's just a symptom of what I see a lot where, you know, if you're self-taught, there's nothing wrong with it. But when you need to, when you hit something, you hit that gap, you gotta be able to get a little a little instruction in there where someone tailors a fix for you, and normally a coach can do that for you. Um, but like you said, there's this like a level one coach and that's it, and that's that's all that's around there. Um, not not faulting them, but sometimes they don't know about all the techniques. And if unfortunately, like I like I say all the time, a piece of paper does not mean you know how to coach someone. It means you took the time to take a course that says, "Hey, I'm a coach," and that's about it. But uh, you have to perfect your craft like anything else. So a good coach will perfect his craft as he goes along, and he'll find ways of teaching people how to do it the best way possible. Um, every time, you know, for some, I teach seminars that sort of thing, and I'll do live seminars where I'm working with people and they're shooting the bows, or I'll do speak speaking engagements where I'm just telling people. This is what you do. This is how you get started. This is the common problems we see. Like a lot of, some coaches do that. Um, But the one thing I will do is I'll attend other coaching seminars, that sort of thing, who are thrown by other coaches, just to see what they're doing or how they're explaining something. And sometimes the way they explain it is they may not be teaching the best technique, but their method of explaining something works. And I'll pick up little things here and there. And I'll use that to try to help. So I'm constantly, you know, adding stuff to my toolbox of how to teach people how to do something. But uh, I'll tell you, I don't think that she'll have that big an issue. I, How many years has she been hunting already?
3: Uh, let's see. Uh,
2: eight or eight or nine years.
0: Okay. And she's still with it even though she hasn't harvested an animal. Well, that's a testament to somebody's dedication to it. And what I will tell you is I will make it my own. Personal mission in life to make sure she can draw heavier and more more comfortable. Um, because the one thing I don't want is somebody to give up on something because they're not successful at it. And that applies to target shooting. That applies to to bow hunting. Doesn't make a difference what it is. This is what they do. Um, and sometimes, sometimes uh, a lot of people they uh, you know they 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 hit that wall where they're not progressing anymore, and they just. Either they accept that's what they're going to be because someone else is telling them, hey, listen, this is what you are, or they give up. And I don't like to see either one of those two cases. Now, uh, Richard and Rob, you guys coaching over there in the UK, I don't know if you see a lot of that where people just give up when they hit a wall, But and even when they, you know, in today's culture of instant gratification, everybody wants to learn how to do something as quickly as possible, and they don't, you know, they don't want to take the time sometimes, and if they don't get where they want to go, they just give up. I don't know if you guys see a lot of that out there. We see a lot of that over here.
3: I think it'd be fair to say that, but what happens is that they go through a beginner's course, they start shooting, they have like six, 12 months of, of shooting where they have like a quite a rocket level of, of progression, and then they hit a plateau, and yep. they might dip because them. They've changed the bow, they've changed their arrows, they've changed something. Um, they hit that plateau, they start to dip down and they lose confidence and they don't necessarily go for some um, corrective, correctional coaching, if you like, or supportive coaching, yeah. depending on what you want to call it. And I spend a lot of time now doing um, coaching improvement sessions with people who are ex- fairly experienced, you know, some are very experienced, um, and some, I'll, uh, you know, some uh, I've got one person who's actually shooting for the country,
0: mm-hmm. and
3: um, they are just looking for improvements because they know something happened and they've kind of just dropped their form a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think one thing that we see is a lot over here is a lot of fair weather archers, which are only out kind of during the summer months, yeah, when it's nice weather, and you you see people's form drop off or their physical strength drops off. And if they've got good technique, they can pick that back up really quickly. But if they haven't got good technique and they drop their form a bit, then, yeah, it suffers.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's just like the traditional archers that I teach over here who shoot traditional recurve. What I tell them is whether you're shooting in your basement and you're shooting five yards every day uh, during the inclement weather or something like that, with traditional and recurve it's impo- important to shoot at least a couple days a week year round compound you can get away with it if you know your 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 technique really really well like you said but with recurve and traditional you have to be doing it a couple times a week if not your your form will degrade all kinds of stuff will happen and that's not something that we really really want to see um but it happens to people so the the worst thing that can happen is when someone just hits that wall and gives up and I I have seen that I've seen that on both sides. I've seen that come from from the individual. if it's you know if it's an adult that I'm teaching, that'll happen sometimes. And I'm like, well, if you listen to what I'm trying to tell you, we can work and find a way. with kids, you just got to keep them interested. Um, but on the other side of that, I actually see that with parents who are vicariously living through their kids and <laughs> if the kid is not they bring the kids to me and they're like, well, we want them to to start shooting joad and target archery. I'm like, "Okay. And if this kid's not winning state championships within the first year or two, right away they're like, "Well, this is not working." And I'm like, um who who's shooting here? Is it you or your child? You know, which one is it? And sometimes these parents pressure so much to their children that the kids hate doing what they're doing. And I can name a couple examples over here of kids who have actually done that. Some of them have progressed very far in competition, but hate the fact that they're doing it. So if they don't like doing it, then you're violating one of my primary rules, which is if you're not having fun doing it and we can't find a way to make it fun for you, I don't want someone being forced to do it. So our kids over here, they shoot at targets, they shoot at goblin targets 3d targets you name it they shoot at it so we try to keep it interesting if balloons are their thing they're shooting at balloons whatever makes them happy but the one thing i don't want them to do is to say hey this is not something i want to do at all um and going back to the thing of where someone has hit a limitation for how much draw weight they can do that's fine um as we work on her process for how to draw the bow back properly and how to get proper alignment, what I do want her to still concentrate on is her shooting technique itself, as in like her aiming and things like that. Because the one thing is people get too focused on one area of their shooting and they like, I'll give you an example. I had a a young lady who came to me, she was 15, been shooting for almost six years. And her scores, she was shooting Joad, which is what we what we had the kids uh, shoot in the tournaments over here. And the, she came to me, the, the parents brought her to me saying, well, the last coach moved to another area, so we're looking for another coach for her, and she can't progress. In a 300 round, she's shooting a 235, and she can't get past it. <coughs> so I looked at her, and I'm like, okay, what what do you think is the problem? She goes, well... I don't know what the problem is, but I've been doing this for a long time, and no matter what, I can't get past this. My highest number is 235, my average between 230, 232, I have a 300, and I said, so what's the last thing your coach had you work on? And she says, well, I was doing okay, I was shooting, I had just started shooting, I'm getting up to like 200, 210, and then he changed my release, and I went to a back tension release, and now... I jumped right up to 225, and I crept up maybe four or five more points. And after that, the only thing that he would tell me is, it's you, you got to learn, learn how to work your release. It's your problem. You're not doing the release per- practically. You're never going to succeed in this if you don't master your release. So I said, all right. Now, I'm weird, a little, because I won't just take a student and be like, oh, okay, fine, you know, you're know, you willing to pay the 40 or $50 per hour for training. Come to me, I'll take it. I don't do that. I'll actually look at a student, have them shoot a session for me, and judging by what I see, if it's something that the student really wants to do, then we'll do it. No problem. If it's not, we won't. I'll tell the parents. I'm like, listen, they're not into it. I think maybe competition is not something they should be doing. Still shoot archery, do something else, but we can work with them in other ways. Um, this particular girl, uh, when, I, when I looked at her, I'm like, okay, so for the last... Year and a half, he's been working on your release with a back tension release. Uh-huh. And nothing else, no other, okay, fine. Her form that she had with her front arm, actually how she was tilting her head and all that was so improper. I don't know how she was seeing through her peep. Yet this guy was focusing on her release. I said, Do me a favor. Here's a shot trainer. Fire your, fire your shot with the shot trainer. She goes, I never used one of these before, is it? Well, it's a piece of string and a handle. Go ahead, just put it on the string and pull back and execute your shot the same way. There was nothing wrong with her shot execution. What had happened in her case was the coach focused only on one thing, which is the release, and completely was oblivious to the rest of it. So of course her, her score is not going to go up because she could barely look through her peep. Half the time she wasn't looking through the peep. And I, and I looked at her and I said, are you really focusing ring on ring inside that peep? And she said, Well, sometimes yes, sometimes no. I'm like, do me a favor. Forget about the release. Just focus through the rings. I had her shoot a round. She went from 230, whatever it was, to a 256 in two rounds shooting like that. Like, "Mm mm-hmm. I don't see any problems with your release. Her mother was dumbfounded by the whole thing. Didn't get it. I'm like, this is a coaching problem. This is not your daughter's problem. And I see a lot of this stuff going on every single day. I don't know if you guys see that kind of thing over there, but I see it here. And it, it's a big issue where sometimes people focus on the wrong thing instead of looking at the whole picture, and it really takes a coach to figure out what's going on. But in this case, she had a coach who was only concentrating on one thing. So do you guys see that kind of problem over there? I mean, even, Francis, when, when you're at your range, if you see somebody teaching somebody, do they do they necessarily look at everything or do they, they – they just concentrate on, on one particular little thing and are oblivious to everything else.
2: Well, like I, like I said earlier, we don't, we don't have, uh, Uh, we don't really have high level coaching just because, you know, like I said, archery is not, not popular in this part of the country. Uh, Like I, I know of, I know of one archery shop. That's uh, about an hour's drive away. And that's the only one I know of. So, I mean, it's not a, it's not a popular sport here in our, our uh, compound, our one coach at the club that that shoots compound, uh, is self-taught and did the level one uh, coaching class, which, uh, as you've mentioned, is basically mostly a safety class, right? Yes. I mean, it's not. I'm not. I'm not to knock him here. He doesn't have the training or experience. Um, doesn't have the training or experience to be able to help people beyond you know what what he's what he's self-taught himself. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Uh, to answer your question, you know, I, yeah, I mean, I'm no, I'm, I'm not an expert either. Um, but I, I, I see things that, that could be done differently that I, I think should be done differently. Um, but, uh, you know, who, who am I to, who am I to say that? I, I'm also self taught.
0: Well, here, here's the thing with that. Never doubt yourself because sometimes people who have zero experience at all, their common sense should basically, be your greatest tool, because if you see something that doesn't look right, or you say, well, maybe if I tried doing this, you never know. That probably could work. And then when you go to see a coach who actually knows what he's doing, be like, well, yeah, that's the way you're supposed to do it. But you would have figured it out on your own. Remember, none of this stuff was written in tablets that were given to us. All this stuff was developed over time. And somewhere along the line, people figured things out. So there's not to say that you can't figure something out on your own just because someone didn't tell you. And that's that's a big deal. Now, Richard, over over in your uh, on your side of the pond, do you see this problem with with coaches or not? Where they focus on the wrong thing or not the whole picture?
1: Well, I'm I'm Senator Francis in shooting and fast, We there's not really a lot of coaching for improvement. Uh-huh. When you see people upgrading gears out, I, I don't know whether this is partly the fault of the industry as a whole. You've got to shoot this release if you want to shoot well you've got to shoot it in, you've got to shoot a resistance, you'll never be any good using a wrist rocket. I, I've tried a thumb button, and I just got, I shot it solid for six months, and I'm nowhere near as consistent with a thumb button as I am with a wrist rocket. mm mm-hmm. so yeah. sometimes industry's the industry pushing people. The only way you can improve is to shoot this shoot, that shoot the other. Like that guy, you said you took a bare carnage. Yeah. The guy that rocked up with his extension, the full rig, in the shop had told him, You shoot this, you'll smoke everybody.
3: <laughs> you, you know. I think what, that is yeah. one of the things the Rich nailed quite well is um, that we, under NFAS, the kind of coaching for for improvement is very much dependent on the club and what coaches you've got in there. So um, I, I think that's one of the reasons why I get so many people coming to myself is because i spent quite a lot of time doing a lot of research. And the one thing I've learned where coaching is concerned is one size does not fit all. Exactly. And you've got to keep learning. You've got to keep out there. You've got to keep embracing new techniques um, and techniques that are maybe alien to your style of shooting. So from my point of view is I'm a pure instinctive single string shooter. Mm-hmm. I'm shooting a flat bow or a recurve. Um, and I was running a coaching session from 10 till three yesterday with a group of archers and um, explaining them uh, gap shooting and the processes of aiming and that. And that is something that I in- intuitively, I don't use. But subconsciously, obviously, I'm doing it because I'm an instinctive shot. But the thing is, as a coach, you've got to be able to apply that. You've got to be able to identify something in that individual that you can lash on to. Maybe it's a hobby they're already doing and explain something to them. And that's the thing I've learned in the last 10 or so years is that, yeah, okay, you've got a piece of paper that says you're a coach. That doesn't make you a coach. All it says is somebody's, thinks, yeah, you're at a level that you can be an instructor and teach people the basics and teach them the safety rules and the rules of the society. To be a coach, you've got to work at it.
0: Exactly. Um, Sorry, I went on for a bit there. Oh, no, no, that's, we, we want to hear your, your input on this sort of thing. Um, no, we, we see that a lot over here. I actually heard um, about one of the clubs over there, or one of the coaches over there who, in that club, in, in in the UK, actually, before you're allowed to use a thumb button, you have to master a back tension as, like, a method of teaching you how to, how to properly shoot a thumb button. And when I heard that, I'm like, okay, uh, so you're forcing someone to use a back tension release before they can use a thumb button. Why? Because you're trying to teach them discipline, maybe. Okay, fine. Um, if you listen to my podcast, you'll find out that, like, none of my kids, or adults for that matter, shoot uh, – Back tension releases or hooks, if if you will, um, and the reason I don't do that is because I teach them to use command of their shots. Everywhere in the world, well, in the archery world, if you will, the prescribed method for a you know for a good shot is it has to be a surprise, and you have to use a back tension because that's the only way to get a surprise shot going off. And I'm like, well, you can punch a back tension as well as you can punch a trigger. Um, Joel Turner, who if no one's heard of him, he's a guy who's revolutionized some some shooting here in this country, his son just won the Vegas tournament and he's like 15 years old and he won the men's open pro division. Um, He teaches control process shooting, something that I've been into for a very long time. And his whole philosophy is if you can't stop the shot, that means you have no control over it. If you have no control over it, then basically you're taking a, and I'm just paraphrasing. is like the way I interpret what he teaches. If you have no control over your shooting, then you're, putting it all to chance that it's going to go where it's supposed to go. And the way he teaches it is all about expecting that, you know, your your brain is trained so that when you draw back and it flinches sometimes before the shot because you know there's going to be an explosion of that bow as it goes off. So it's bracing for that impact. But if you're con- constantly um, taking your mind off of that and concentrating on something else, using a word or something like that to key off when you're shooting, and even for traditional where they're using... Other techniques to do it, then your shot becomes more controlled and you're able to do that. And his son is proof positive that it works. Um, I also teach the same way when I'm teaching bow hunters or anybody. And (laughs) I know Rich is like, Oh, you keep saying bow hunters, we're not even allowed to do that over here. (laughs) And I get it. Um, but believe it or not, over there in the UK, I think the majority of your shooters are target shooters, where over here, the majority that I see are mostly bow hunters. So we have to be prepared for any kind of mindset over here with people. And that's why I see a a lot more different types. I got the kids, I got the bow hunters. I, I got the, uh, you know, the target shooters, we get them all. So, you know, Francis, where you are, I'm sure you have people doing both target shooting and bow hunting. Um, but then you've got, of course, the closet bow hunters who break out their stuff a week before season and start doing their thing. Uh, so it's all different mentalities that we have, but I think that you have to, t- you know, you have to look for training in the best possible method. A lot of stuff, if you have no access to it, and you gotta, you gotta train on your own, and you gotta figure out your own system. Um, you can take, I, like I said, YouTube is not a bad tool. Just take everything that you see there with a grain of salt. So, like, okay, don't take whatever you see as gospel when you see someone doing something. I just saw a video this morning of a guy talking about his tuning process that he released this morning, and I'm listening to this, and they run a bow shop and everything, and I'm not going to say which channel it is or anything, but I'm like, he's talking about paper tuning, and he's saying, well, you know, I can do this, and I might get a bullet hole at, at 5 feet, and then all of a sudden when I put it out at 20 yards, you know, like 10, 10 to 15 feet, I might get a tear in it. And I'm looking at this, and I'm like, okay. So you're just feeding the whole thing out there that says you should paper tune at five feet and start setting up your paper tuning from that. Some people don't even know what tuning is, okay? Especially if you're... Now most people, because of YouTube, know what paper tuning is. But they don't know what paper tuning was designed for. It's designed to see arrow flight. But paper tuning at five feet doesn't do you anything. Um, it does. Like, I paper tune all, all of our bows at 10 yards and 15 yards. Um at the minimum, if if we don't have enough space, we'll do it at ten and twelve feet. The reason being it's called a thing you know, simple thing, and I know everyone has heard of it. It's called arrow paradox. It's different depending on the bows, the cams, even doesn't make a difference what kind of bow it is. If the arrow's in paradox, guess what? That paradox is not over before five feet. Sometimes it takes it ten, twelve feet to work itself out before that arrow starts flying straight, and you can see what the true rip is going to be on the paper. But we see so much of this online. How is anyone supposed to know what's the right thing and what's the wrong thing? So all I tell people is look at the stuff that's out there and see what you think about it. If you have a question, ask me. And I'm not saying that everything that I teach should be taken as gospel either. But what I will tell you is the stuff that I teach and how I do it, in particular how I tune bows. I've done this for over 30 years and in that time I have experimented with practically everything. The thing is, unless it comes from a big name telling you that you can't that you should do this at this or do this this way, most people don't pay attention. Well, results speak for themselves and my guys who I who I tune up their stuff and I teach them to tune, my girls know how to tune, they do well. Their bows shoot flat. They shoot perfect you know out there and then it, it's not to be taking the bow out of the equation it's just a shooter so that's a lot of stuff i mean what are you guys opinion we'll go around the room uh starting with francis and then we'll go to richard and uh, and rob what are your guys opinion of youtube right now do you think that youtube is helping more people than it hurts or it's just something that you know it's out there i mean what do you guys really think about the youtube stuff because i see so much of it it's just crazy We'll start with you Francis. What yeah. do you think? Yeah. YouTube
2: uh, as well as I mentioned earlier, YouTube is a is a hazardous place to learn. I, I don't think it's a good place for a total beginner. You need I think you need enough knowledge to be able to to uh, to filter out a little bit of the, a little bit of the bullshit, right? Yeah. Um, I'm like I'm I'm a super curious person. I need if if something needs to be done a certain way, it's not enough for me to know that it needs to be done that way. I need to know why, and I need to understand how it works. So I, I don't think there's any YouTube Archer that I haven't watched. And it it basically, it has to pass the snippet. Does this make sense? Mm -hmm. Does any of this make sense? And some of the stuff makes sense. And some of the stuff doesn't make sense. I mean, I remember, and I'm sure that video is still out there. And this is people in a bow shop showing how to work on your bow. If you don't have a press. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Show to draw back the bow. And jam an Allen wrench in the cam. Oh yeah, so that, it does, so that the string stays loose. And th- this is a bow shop showing this on on YouTube. Uh-huh. Um, you know any anyone who who doesn't have enough knowledge to be able to go, yeah, that doesn't look like a good idea. Is, is probably going to try it.
0: Yeah. And it may end so in a disastrous YouTube, way. I think. <laughs> yep. it, it,
2: it yeah. So I think YouTube uh, is super useful for someone who has enough knowledge to be able to filter out the really bad ideas. But for an absolute beginner, I think it's, uh, I think it, that, that and like another example is archery talk. I know you're not a fan of archery talk. I'm <laughs> no. on there, but it, again, it's, it's, it's a hazardous place. You need, <laughs> yes. you need a, a strong filter to, uh, to extract
0: useful things out of archery talk. Yeah. There are a lot of pros who go on there with different names and like, I have a different name on there. And when I do have to go in there, I'm like, Oh my goodness. With the stuff I'm seeing, I I just don't, I I don't bother anymore, but yeah, like I said, there's different places you go looking for information. And unfortunately, sometimes the information you get more often than not is not correct. Uh, Richard, what's your, what's your opinion on YouTube?
1: Very similar to Francis. I, my bullshit detectors turned up to maximum on YouTube. (laughs) There are certain channels I tend to trust more now. Uh, Josh Jones, Spokane Valley Archery. He started his channel off the back of Dan Statton's elk shape. Mm-hmm. That guy's been working on bow since he was four years old. He's <laughs> uh Kellen from Inside Out Precision. He's really, really good. Works up at the bow rack in Springfield, Oregon. His videos are really good. To be honest, I found podcast help as well. People will put you, point you to people with a lot more experience than me will point you to the channels that are worth watching. But there is so everybody's favourite outdoors woman. She's just dangerous. She's <laughs> gonna result in people hurting themselves, she is God. Yeah. But, well, yeah, I say like I can't bullshit filter up to maximum when I'm on YouTube. Right. And Greg Paul, I I liked some of the stuff Greg Paul does, uh bow junkie. Uh-huh. And when he was on about uh, shaft tuning he did a lot of experimentation and found seven yards is best for him, bare shaft tuning. That's where his arrow flight is at its worst. And if it can get it to bullet hole at seven yards, he's good to go. Yep. He said, You can try it at two, three yards, bullet hole, get to seven yards. It's still flexing, you got a massive, great tear. So he now sets seven yards for his, for his paper tuning.
0: Mm uh-huh. hmm. And, and, you know, before I, I get on to Rob for, for his int- input on this, the only thing I'll say about Greg Poole is a lot of people just know him as being, like, the archery media personality and stuff like that. Greg Poole is shot on national teams. He's been doing this forever. Um, he is one of the two people responsible for our modern-day stabilizers that we have, having developed the bee stinger stuff and all that out there. So when he says something, you know, he's speaking from legit experience at what he's doing. And his videos... You know, he doesn't make that many of them, but he tries to do it in a way where everyone can understand. He doesn't go overly technical on them. And I think a lot of people appreciate that, and a lot of people don't appreciate the value of what he brings to it. And if they took the time to look at the, some of the stuff, a lot of the stuff that he goes over is really, really helpful. And, you know, it's, it's like you have to find that small edge of stuff that's out there that that, that works for you. And Rob, we'll get to you. What, what do you think about the YouTube stuff?
3: Um, I made a note whilst we were talking about two things. I think where uh, YouTube's concerned is, I think people have lost the ability to apply, I think it was Francis, apply filters, a kind of filter of common sense of does this make sense or is this just downright yeah. dangerous? Mm-hmm. And the, the the issue I see with YouTube, I think it's a fantastic tool. I use it at work, uh, you know, and everything like that. But the issue I see with it is more that is that aspect of the the application of common sense. And certainly, with some of younger artery types. Yep. Wherever they be, kind of teens all the way up to like the you know twenties, where they've seen things and they they want to repeat them. And I don't know if you guys have ever watched any stuff by Lars Anderson. Yes, I have, and some of the stuff that he does, mm-hmm. um, and some of it is fascinating. You know, but uh, well, there's some stuff he's done in the past with stunts where he's like shooting cans off the tops of people's heads and stuff like that, and. I get people coming to me, especially kids and saying, oh yeah, well I've watched this video, or watch watched this, or I've watched, the other one is uh, game play, you know, computer games where they've got yeah. arteries mm-hmm. in. Um, they think, oh well you want to draw back like this and I've got, to, I've got to do this and it's like, well actually let's just take a few steps back and <laughs> let's look at this. And I I did a, a podcast on this a while back, Rich, you might remember it because I was talking to you the other day about about kind of like images from different films and saying, Okay, so what are they doing here? What are they doing here? And getting the actual young archers to go. Oh well, is that you know, is that appropriate in the style of field shooting that we use? Or you know, is that you know, is that a good idea? Is and get them to question. it. And some of the stuff is um, correct form, and some of them is inappropriate. I won't say wrong, because you know, like where you know, anchor is concerned, Rich, you're learning to shoot a war bow. And with anchoring in a war bow, you're pulling it way past your, your normal anchor point on your face and like pulling it to your ear to shoot a war bow. And that's very different to like the field shooting that I teach. Yeah. But it's kind of making people aware and be able to then go away and watch YouTube materials, listen to podcasts and go, oh, yeah, that's right. Or, hmm, is that going to be appropriate? Maybe I need to speak to my coach. Maybe I'll have a word to Rob next time. So I think it's that filter aspect you people. YouTube's open to everybody. Yeah. And it's potentially a huge, fantastic tool. But because it's open to everybody, anybody can record something and put it up. And people don't always have that kind of common sense filter that they did have, certainly when, you know, I was growing up.
0: (laughs) And that's exactly true. And that's why, like I've been saying to people, like I'm working on YouTube videos that I can put up there. And, I've tried it for the last couple of weeks, trying to edit them out to make the angles look right. My main concern is this, make it simple, make it so people can understand it. But if the production quality that I'm putting into it is not great, what's going to happen is people are going to look at it and be like, yeah, this is trash. This is no good. And just not bother watching it. Again, I'm recording these videos as a tool for my students and for people who listen to me, whatever, who don't, who can't get to me like here, this is how this is done. Um, I'm being cautious with some of the things I do in there because with YouTube, you, if anyone goes ahead and like, oh well, I can do this, and blah, 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 you know, I want to explain it the right way and show even down to just serving in a peep, it has to be shown how to do it at the proper angle and everything, so that they don't do anything dangerous. I've seen people shooting with a peep that's not served in, you name it, all kinds of craziness. So the disclaimer I put on it is, you have to do this carefully. And most of this stuff is here for demonstration purposes only so that if you take it to a bow shop, you actually see, you know, that they're doing it the right way for you. If you are going to work on your own bows, do so cautiously and like we take no responsibility for what you do, whatever. Um, but that's one of the things that, that we're concerned with g- generating these first couple of videos. And I put my mind to it already that the first video video's got to come out by this Wednesday because I've got four hours with the video that I recorded and I'm trying to snip something together, snip something together. I'm just going to put the basic one out there for how to measure all the settings on your bow, that sort of thing. Um, But that's why I'm being overly cautious. Uh, And, you know. It's interesting you're saying that though, because, sorry. Go ahead.
3: Go ahead. I was just going to say, um, which was down there yesterday, um, helping some newbies out and, um, I was running a session from. I'm showing the basics because obviously we're not shooting compounds on the on the beginners' class. We're shooting takedown down recurves. Uh, about assembly of that recurve, the safe way of assembly, and the most important thing is the safe way of stringing the bowl. Yeah. And there's so many people out there say, "Oh, well, you're going to use this method. You're going to use this method." And I say, "Right, the only safe way that I've I can say to string a bow is use a stringer." Exactly. Yeah, you use one of those so that because you have the whole kind of push-pull method, you mm-hmm. have step three methods, and each of them have got a danger associated with them to either the archer or to the equipment. Mm-hmm. And you explain that to them, and I think that's something that's missing from a lot of YouTube videos. They shall say, this is the way to do something, but they don't explain
0: why that's the method of doing it. Yep, exactly. Do
3: yeah. you, you see what I mean? you.
0: Unfortunately, some people yeah, takes that, that get, comes yeah, go ahead.
2: That comes back to what I was uh, saying earlier about wanting you know not not just wanting to know how to do it, but to understand why mm-hmm. it works that way. And if you know if the person can't explain why this works and just says, well, this is how it needs to be done, uh, basically that that send, that sends up red flags for me, right? Someone who doesn't understand why they're doing what they're doing or how it works, uh, probably shouldn't be showing other people how to do it. That's one I, one thing I strive to do.
0: yes, That's one thing I strive to do. And when I ever do a podcast where I'm teaching somebody, something is like, it's not just don't do as I do, you know, because of this, I actually try to explain to them why I'm doing that. And then that usually clicks a little bit better with them. But, um, yeah, well, we're almost done here. We've been on for an hour. Um, what I do want to do while all you guys on here, since we don't have a podcast that doesn't have it, you all know what's coming, um, I want to do a Don't Be That Guy for this episode. Now, the one thing I will promise is that I'm not going to go crazy, screaming, flying off the handle, though most people, I'm not kidding, I think they actually tune in just so they can hear me losing my mind on something. Um, Richard, you know that's true.
1: Oh, uh, Full <laughs> Sopranos on <only>. me,
0: <laughs> but so this week's "Don't Be That Guy" is a little different. So normally we come, you know, we we direct our "Don't Be That Guy" as someone who's doing something purposely or intentionally the wrong way that's impacting others, that sort of thing. Well, not this week. This week's "Don't Be That Guy" or "Don't Be That Girl," either way you want to put it, is directed towards the students and the shooters themselves. And what I don't want them to be is to be the person who blindly accepts information they're getting from somebody without questioning it and just saying, no, well, if he says it just because of who they are, you know, like if they if they see a famous person online, oh, well, he's doing this, so this must be true, you know, don't blindly accept that kind of stuff. That's not the person you want to be. Because what happens is, when you do that sort of thing, you wind up usually hurting yourself. And just because you see somebody who's famous doing this, I'll give you an example of a bow hunter. Well, this bow hunter, he's, when he's recording his videos, he's 28 feet up in a tree. Okay, you've got a fear of heights. So because this yo-yo goes twenty feet, 28 feet up in a tree, you should go ahead and do that too where you're going to be petrified, probably not concentrate on anything, and potentially hurt yourself. Does that sound right? No. And I compare it to the same thing. Like, if you see somebody go jump into a pool of sharks on TV, do you think it's safe to do it? No, it's not. But all too often, I see people who are learning archery or have been into it forever. Someone says, do this this way because I'm so-and-so. Well, that doesn't work. It just doesn't. And what may work for them more than likely probably won't work for you. Not because you can't do it the way they do it, but because they're not showing the whole picture behind something most of the time. You're seeing a snippet of something and not seeing everything else that goes into it. I mean, you name it, it's out there. People do it all the time. They do stuff. A perfect example what you mentioned before, Francis, was the guy who's on there. He's showing, he's in a bow shop and he's saying, Hey, if you don't have a bow press, go ahead and jam this thing in here into your cam while you're at full draw and you can change your string and cables and all that. Okay. Don't believe it. Because if you did that in real life, while it may have worked for him because this guy who's got a lot of experience and tried to get away with it, no one knows what happened to that cam afterwards, if that cam got bent in the process. You don't see everything that goes on. So your best judge is yourself. Look at it. Does it make sense to you? Look around. Check out other things. Don't go blindly accepting what a celebrity or someone who's very popular or what they call the influencers say just because they're saying it. It makes no sense. The stuff that I teach, not for nothing, don't go blindly accepting it either. I, I tell you, go ahead, try it for yourself. You'll see it works. And when you try it, you're not doing anything crazy or dangerous or anything like that. But the problem is, I try to explain everything as in-depth as I can. But these guys that you see out there, they don't. They're like, here, here's a 20-second clip of me doing this. But they don't tell you everything they went into it, you know? That's what the don't be that guy is this week. Don't be the guy that blindly accepts what someone says just because they're a celebrity or an influencer. And you see, I didn't go crazy this time. It wasn't meant to be a crazy, don't be that guy. It was a simple one. Plus, I have other people on the line, that I don't want to go as bananas as I possibly could. But anyway, so this has been fun. I'd like to thank you all for coming on here. I mean, it was um, our first live call-in. We didn't have any trollers. I had uh, one or two people email me. They were like, well, we'd like to join the call. I'm like, who are you? And they refused to tell me. They said, like, well, we just want to get in. I'm like, no. Um, but we're going to do these – I'm going to try to do them like every month or every other month, something like that. Uh, what I would like to do is, especially with you guys in in the U.K., um, we like to have a, a global like sort of thing. So you guys come up with different things that you're seeing over there, and then we'll have a, a call monthly or something like that, and we'll do that on there where you can answer you know questions that your students might have or people that you know may have, and we can do that all together over here. I'll have some questions from my students because my students have a lot of questions about people in the UK and how they how they shoot over there and all that since you know one of them was listening to a John Dudley podcast and he was saying well when i was living in the UK i was shooting basically in my living room because there was nowhere for me to shoot and the club only had certain hours and all that so you know they they get interested like what is it like other parts of the world um even in Canada at this <laughs> at this point the guys are like do they have a lot of clubs up there they, i start getting all kinds of crazy questions so i think that'll be something to do. Look forward to in the future Francis like I said Send me the videos and we'll see what happens With that and we'll get her straightened out trust me We may just do a live zoom session and we'll We'll get her uh do you have like an Indoor range or an outdoor range you're going to with her At
2: the moment we're shooting in the basement Okay that's um, fine that's all fine Our all our indoor ranges are still Closed uh because Of uh covid really? restrictions. Wow. Uh should be op- should be opening up Later this month yeah I've, I've Missed uh, the last we haven't had an indoor season in almost three years now Wow that's, uh, that's nuts yeah um,
0: it's, it's, it's so we're, we're
2: set up we're set up uh, we've got eight meters shooting
0: across the basement <laughs> and you know what that's all you need and I've gotten into other episodes where how you can make eight meters seem like 20 um so that that's that's not a problem we'll get you straightened out we'll get we'll get her going on her way to do do what she wants to do um you know Rob and Richard it's been great having you guys on. Uh, we always love to hear from you. Uh, folks, they both have podcasts that you can listen to. I'll put the links in the description for for this podcast here. Uh, like I said, the first YouTube video should be dropping soon, one way or the other, if even it kills me. But I'm going to get that YouTube video out um, and – we're going to try to do these live call-ins every now and then next time we'll probably have more people on there. Like I said, I'm being selective on who we let on there. Cause I don't know if there are any kind of crazies eventually we may even be doing a YouTube live or a, uh, or a Facebook live. If I really feel homicidal, I'll try that. But uh, yeah, that, that should be fun. Um, so that'll do it for this first live call-in show of the high power archery podcast. If you, You want to get. Can I just say thanks very much for including us? I really appreciate it. Oh, you know, it's it's great to have other points of view on here. I love hearing from you guys. You know, um, it's a very small community that we have, especially among podcasters, but I consider part of our community the podcasters, the people who who write into me, stuff like that, um, because we're all real people. We're not just some personalities that you see on YouTube who were like bigger than life and don't answer emails or anything like that, or could care less about anything except for making the dollar off a sponsor's promotion. Don't do that. Um, but like I if said,
2: I, if I could just make a, make a short comment, sure. just to speak to what you just said, Angel, like it's, it's um, I'm not going to say in person cause we're not in person, but yeah. it's nice to actually meet Richard. Richard, I've been listening to your podcast since the beginning. Um, so I'm, I'm aware, I'm aware of who you are. I just, I, I, um, Found your podcast just randomly searching archery podcasts, and then through your podcast, I found the Off Center Archers, and then mm-hmm. from the Off Center Archers, I found Angel, and now <laughs> I've I don't, I don't I'm not aware of Rob's podcast, but I'll definitely be looking it up now. So I mean, this is a whole web of uh, of uh, of interlinked uh, community. Yeah, that that's oh,
1: this still- it's, it's amazing lovely community going. But to be honest, I'm always surprised anybody wants to listen to a middle aged fat bloke from the UK. <laughs>
0: Well, you know, um you're which one of us are you talking
3: about there, Rich? Is it you or me?
1: wow uh, you're the healthy one, Rob <laughs> I've always said I have no expertise, no speciality. I'm just Joe Smoke trying to muddle his way through, learning what I can as I go and trying to improve myself.
0: And you you speak to the average guy, which is what I try to do too. Uh, I try to get my message out so that it's plain and easy to understand and it's for everybody it's not singling out well if you're not a professional target archer then this podcast is not for you stuff like that we i think we all try to do that make it for the masses and you know francis will tell you if he listens to the podcast is because he finds it interesting you know if it wasn't interesting they wouldn't listen to it so that's why um i think it's a great thing that we've got going um, Anthony was going to try to call in, but I think he's working a day shift from the off-center archers, so he couldn't make it in. But uh, hopefully we'll have him on next time. I know I'm going to be doing a podcast with him soon, and mm-hmm. those are always interesting. Um, and then eventually, if you get over here, Richard, then we'll do one with you live while you're in the States. We're going <laughs> to we're gonna make sure that uh, you get your hunting going on this year. So, uh, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. God, you yeah, you know, like I said, That'll do it for this episode. If you have any questions, contact us at highpowerarchery at gmail.com. You can send us a message at our website, highpowerarchery.com. Until then, I'd like to thank all the guests for being on today. And um, it's never goodbye. It's until we meet again. So until then, uh, stay safe and shoot straight. And that'll do it. Take care, guys. Thanks very much. All right.